with the brief time that I have, I don't want to turn your attention to Romans 1, 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 through 17, which this text is an outworking of baptisms. You understand the baptism is me or you or whoever has done baptism biblically is that person who stands in the baptistry and they're saying, I'm going to uh, publicly align myself with Christ, both his mission his message, and his person. That is, he is the Messiah. I'm going to align myself with the Messiah, the message, and the mission. And when I get baptized, that's me saying that is uh, what I am up here to do. And we see this playing out even in Romans 1, 16 through 17, as Paul is, is writing to the church in Rome. And before he wants to get into, which is the, the greatest uh, compilation of uh, of systematized theology in the New Testament of how we should think about God, how we should think about Christ, how we should think about the Christian life is, is really uh, the, the, the greatest uh, compilation of all of those truths found in one epistle. And before we get into all of that, Paul wants to get one thing really, really clear in our mind, and it is this. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Everything I'm going to say after this is going to be in line with this as the foundation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. Dunamis. Dunamis is the Greek word for power. It's where we get the English words dynamite and dynamic. Right? If something is dynamic, that means uh, that isn't just, it, it, it's, got, it's multifaceted, it's not one-dimensional. Like It's going to fulfill what it has set out to do. And that is the idea of the impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ is it's explosive and it's dynamic and it's going to redeem the whole person. It's not just going to change the eternal position of the person, but it's going to redeem and renew the person inside out. And therefore, what is inside is going to pour outside because that's the dynamic power of the gospel at work in us. And that is what we are not going to be ashamed of because this gospel is salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and don't, that, don't let that confuse you, you've got to understand, to the Jew first, because the promises of Abraham and even the Davidic covenant are first given to the Jews. And so we recognize that salvation and all the promises of God were first given to the Jews. Now in Christ, the Jews rejected Christ, hung Him on a cross, and through that divine closing of the eyes of the Jews, salvation has then been, at least in the age of the Gentiles, in the church age, we have been given the absolute privilege to have access to the gospel. And so we recognize the promises were given to the Jews, and even in the Old Testament, you see these glimpses of uh, people being brought into right relationship with God as they align themselves with Israel. You see this in the Old Testament with people like Rahab, uh, people like Ruth, there were these people who were not Jews who said, I'm going to forsake my way and I'm going to align myself with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you see these glimpses of Gentiles being led into uh, the covenant family of God in the Old Testament, but that's what we have is glimpses. We see the fruition of that in its totality, in its consummation. As Christ has come, he died. The Jewish Messiah died for the sins of humanity. And in Matthew 28, he says, now. Because you recognize, even as we look at the book of Matthew, the whole time he's preaching in the regions of the nation of Israel. But then when he gets to Matthew 28, he looks at his disciples as he has died 
and he is resurrected, and he goes to his disciples, and he says, now go and make disciples of all ethnos, right? all nation, all peoples. And so even here we recognize that the Jews were first when it comes to the promises given to them because that's to whom they were given, but also to the Greek. right? In Christ, the gospel has been made available for all nations. And we got to remember that even as the events you see going on right now in the Middle East uh, are part of God's uh, catalog of eschatological uh, promises that are going to happen. That we, we recognize even in the gospel and Luke that all of the Gentile nations are going to rage against Israel until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. I mean, these are real things that we see in Scripture, but all of that should point us to, at least in our minds, when we look at this text, to say God has a promise and a place for the Jews. God has a plan for the nation of Israel. The promises came out of Israel. Even Paul says this, even in Romans later on, when, when he says, yes, you know, you are Gentiles, we have a place in God's kingdom for those who respond to Christ by turning from their sins and repenting, trusting in Christ. But don't you think for a minute that God has forgotten the people of Israel? He didn't. Because even we see in this text, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. So we trust and we know when the fullness of the time of the Gentiles are going to come, God is going to open the eyes of Israel and there'll be a mass turning even from the people of Israel unto the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is what we pray for. And we know that in this time, which we call the church age, Christ is working in the Gentile nations. That is you and me. If you're not Jewish in here, you're the Gentile nations. And by his grace is leading you to himself. It's a wonderful promise of scripture that we see wound up tight here, even in that one verse. But we see, as the gospel has been made available for all nations, that the gospel in verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Like we recognize that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is made manifest to us. That in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we know about righteousness. We know about judgment, and we know about salvation because of what we know in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is in that gospel that we know the righteousness of God. We know the righteous requirements of the law. We know the just penalty for not submitting and obeying to the law because Christ paid that on our behalf for those who have trusted in Christ for their salvation. We know what we know about righteousness because we know about the gospel. And so, therefore, we who are in Christ in that righteousness of the gospel, we live by faith. We're empowered to live faithfully for God because of the righteousness of God given to us in Christ Jesus and through that spirit that has been implanted in our souls that is the third person of the triune Godhead has his power flowing through us to follow him faithfully. Okay? That's why we can't be ashamed of the gospel because all those truths that I just told you are wound up in the power of the gospel. So three observations in our, our last few minutes here together. This morning, the first observation, point number one, when it comes to Romans 1, 16 and 17, we need to be unashamed of the Messiah, right? Messiah, remember, it's the Messiah, uh, Hebrew form of Christos in the Greek, which is where we get the name Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And so for us, we look at this, we understand if I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel, I have to be unashamed of the Messiah, which Christ gives us warning, even in the text of Scripture, about those who would be ashamed of Him, of the person of Christ. You're not going to have time to flip to all these, but jot them down as I go. Mark 8, 34 through 38, Jesus called the crowds to Him in Mark 8, 34 through 38. And He said to them, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever would lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Verse 38. Whoever is ashamed of me. That's the same Greek word that we see there in Romans 1. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Even that term there, the Son of Man, which is the number one term Jesus used to, uh, to talk about himself in the Gospels. Isn't that the Son of Man in the terms of Jesus is trying to continually associate himself with, with humanity. Uh, it's that prophetic fulfillment that we see in the book of Daniel where the Son of Man is coming on the clouds and he's coming, uh, and that is the prophetic fulfillment of the Messiah who's going to return in the clouds. It's the same quotation there in Daniel that we see Jesus saying, I'm not just a man. I am fully man in my incarnation, but I'm ultimately the Son of Man who's coming on the clouds to redeem the whole earth, to bring the whole earth under my subjection. And he says, and of those who are ashamed of me and my words, when I come ruling and reigning as the revealed Son of Man, when I come in all the glory of my Father and His holy angels, I'm going to be ashamed of you who would be ashamed of me in this life. So there's that stark warning of this idea that somehow we can say we align with Christ but be ashamed in the person of Christ. There is, there, there is no uh, substance to somebody who could claim Christ but be ashamed of the person of Christ because that same person uh, we see here in Scripture, when Christ comes, He will also be ashamed of them when He comes in the glory of His Father and His holy angels. In contrast to that, you see in Hebrews, of those who walk by faith, Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith, you know those really, really important scriptures that teach us those who followed God in faith in spite of not knowing where things were going in their totality. And we see there in Hebrews 11 that God says, with those people who would follow me, not knowing that their kingdom is not of this world, they're looking for a city whose builder is God. And when I come back, I'm not going to be ashamed of them. As a matter of fact, I'm going to invite them into that kingdom that I've prepared for them. You see that in Hebrews 11, that because of their faith, I'm not going to be ashamed of them. They've aligned themselves with me. They've forsaken cities whose builder is man, and they're looking for a city whose builder is God. And when I come, I'm not going to be ashamed of them. I'm going to invite them with me. You see, there's that connection of saying, Whoever Jesus says he is and the message that he brings, I'm wholly aligned myself with that because to that is which my Father will come back and not be ashamed of me because I want to align with the person and work of Jesus Christ. The second observation, we need to be unashamed of the message. Now, I felt it necessary to put number two on here, being unashamed of the message, uh, not because we can actually separate the Messiah from the message, uh, you can't separate the person from the message that he represents. You can't do it. But our culture has done a really, really good job at trying to do that. We live in a culture uh, where, you know, Christ means a lot of different things. He means a lot of different things to the Muslim who believes that Jesus is one of the great prophets, but he was not crucified, and, or at least as he was crucified, he actually didn't die on the cross. Uh, he is not the Son of God, and he did not die for our sins. So you can say, as a Muslim, that you believe in Jesus, but you do not believe in the Jesus of Scripture. The same thing goes along if you believe uh, in uh, Hinduism. You believe Jesus just as efficacious as those other gods I got lined up in my house. But I, I like him, but he's not the God, Yahweh, the one, the only God, the God of salvation. 
I mean, you can even get this even if you go to sects of, uh, of uh, Christianity that are cults like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, all of these who say Jesus is a lot of these things, but he's not all of the things that we hold our trust into. He's not, even in the Catholic Church, you think about the Christ of the Catholic Church, uh, you know, you need to trust in the righteousness of Christ, but you've got to trust in your righteousness and Christ's righteousness. If you don't trust in your righteousness and Christ's righteousness, you can't be saved. You've got to be doing all these good works throughout your whole life. Uh, and then even at that point, there's a place called purgatory where you'll pay for all the venial sins in your life. Uh, and then maybe at some point you're going to get out of there and you get to go where you want to go. Even that tells me what? That the atonement of Christ wasn't fully sufficient for my sins. You're telling me that Christ's death on the cross wasn't sufficient for me to be holy in the sight of God. I got to go to this other place because Christ wasn't enough. You see what I'm saying? We got to be clear when we ask ourselves, who's Jesus and what is his message? Because the message of Christ is very clear. I have come that people may be saved. That's literally how the book of Matthew opens up. And so for you and me, we got to make sure that we are unashamed of the message. And we can't just say, yeah, yeah, I like Christ. You, when you say, I like Christ and I'm aligned with Christ, you must mean that you're all about Christ, who he is, who he said he was, because that's what his message is all about, who he said he is, what he set out to accomplish. And his message is, is ultimately important as the person he is because his message only points to his personhood. And so we got to recognize, I can't be unashamed of the message and you say, well, it just sounds archaic. It was thousands of years ago. We're a lot smarter than those people were back then, which is just what, what historians would call chronological snobbery, right? That you think just because you come after a group of people that you think you're so much more superior and intelligent to them. And sure, we may have been observing things more accurately than people have in times past, uh, but you must not hold to a position of chronological snobbery just because you think you're smarter than those who came behind you. Instead, what we must recognize is the power of the gospel, even in its folly, which I'll give you that in a moment. But before I even do that, just think for a moment about the Apostle Paul. You're saying, well, this is an old message, it's archaic, and the way that people described it, it just it doesn't flow with me. Our culture is way different than that. I feel like if I talk about this gospel, people are going to think I'm an idiot because it just doesn't sound anything like the message we get these days. They're telling me that men and women have their place you know, in their marriage and in their home and their place with their kids, and that's just not going to jive with culture. If I get too far into the gospel, man, it's just, it's just going, to, it's going to conflict with culture so much, and I just can't get down with that message. Well, you know, Paul was up against the same thing in his missionary journeys, particularly when he was in Athens. And in Athens, Paul had all of these intellectual elites that he was, he was going and talking to about the gospel, and he would sit in the places like the Areopagus and the town center, and he was debating and talking with and reasoning with these Stoic philosophers and these Epicurean philosophers, these people whose minds were just way up here. And Paul, imagine this with me. Think about the smartest philosophers you know on YouTube. Get them in a room, and this is your message. There is this Jewish man who came said that he was born from a virgin and he lived a perfect life. And he lived a perfect life on our behalf. And then the Jews that rejected him, the people he came for rejected him, crucified him on a cross. And three days he raised, was raised, was resurrected by the Father. And now he's eternally at the right hand of the Father. And you need to turn from your sins and place your trust in him. How do you think that jived with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers? You can't be ashamed of the message. That has not changed from his time. That's why he writes it here, you realize. This isn't a newfangled thing that you and I have all these people that we got to figure out, how do I share the gospel with all these smart people? This is the same 
problem we've had in all ages of the Christian faith, and we've got to learn. I'm going to be unashamed of the gospel. Here's why. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room because of 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21. Jot that down. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21. For the word of the cross, that is the gospel of Jesus, this word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written when God says, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in verse 21, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through God's wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Here's the news of the message of the gospel. It is through the folly of preaching that God powerfully works to save people. Like, I mean, you get to see buffoons like me who come up on stage when I'm not supposed to, right? And you're like, and this guy's going to tell me how to live? He doesn't even know where he's supposed to be, you know? And that's, that's the folly of what we preach, you recognize. That buffoons like me and the simpletons of the world, just through understanding the tenets of the biblical gospel, that we could powerfully proclaim a gospel of salvation in Christ alone, and God would work through the means of that preaching to see lost people saved. And I, for that, am going to be unashamed of the message because the message is not about the messenger. It's about the Messiah. And I will be unashamed. Finally, number three, we need to be unashamed of the mission unashamed of the mission, we recognize as Christ leaves the earth in Matthew 28, as he goes to the right hand of the Father, he gives a particular command to those that were there. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, I'll just, just sit for a second think about that. I mean, that, he set that up for some something, right? Like, you're, whatever you're about to say after this, blow my mind. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you because you're the resurrected one who's been raised by the Father to eternal life, the firstborn from the dead. And he can say whatever he wants. And he says, I have all authority. I have all the power. Now go and make disciples. That's what he said. He said, you've got a mission. I'm the Messiah. I have a message. And you're the messengers. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Remember, don't forget that part. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you until the end of the age. We have a mission. Right? This isn't, I have a job, and I have a family, and I have a career, and then when I get some time, I kind of sprinkle on the mission of the gospel somewhere in there. This is every single thing in your life is on the table, open-handed, and you say, God, do with that what you want. I'm going to live every day for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single day. It's not, listen, God's not asking everybody in this room to go to the other side of the world and start a, start a mission organization on the other side of the world. But God has called everyone in here to say, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And that means whatever you're doing and whatever you have on your calendar needs to be submitted to the mission of the gospel. How am I a messenger of the mission of the message of the Messiah? 
That's the question I have to ask myself. And i got to be willing to submit and say, I'm going to reject my calendar this week because my calendar did not submit to the primacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have made my life primacy, prime, number one. And I'm going to submit my life to the primacy of Christ and his message and his mission. And so therefore, I'm going to be, as 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, an ambassador of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you thought you and wondered in your life, did you have a place in God's mission? Here, God is making his appeal through you and me, and we implore people on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I'm an official representative of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he has told me to go out there, be about his mission and his message, and we're going to make it all about the Messiah. All right? That's all the time I have. Let's pray. Stand with me as we pray. Father, I pray that there is a zeal and a flame in our souls that has been started by the Holy Spirit, that is at work in our lives to make this church the kind of church that doesn't rely on tricks to get people to come that doesn't rely on, God, the smooth talk of people and the wisdom of this world, but is unashamed of the gospel. And all we want to do is through the folly of preaching of the gospel that you would save people, give us a zeal for that, that all of us who know the biblical gospel have a great part in the mission of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would apply that to our lives, that we would live every day open-handed with our entire lives on the table, asking ourselves, who can we share this message with? Who can I be a messenger of the Messiah to today? Let us go out, let us ponder that, and let us not sit uh, and, and put this in our pocket for later, but something that we recognize we need to now be ambassadors of Christ, imploring people on the behalf of Christ to be reconciled. I pray that you would God, move our hearts, move our minds, and move our hands to the submitting to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.